Welcome to Exponential's Reproducing Churches podcast. For the next half hour, we'll be meeting with some of the most innovative leaders who've cracked church multiplication to help you become a level five multiplying leader. Here's your host, author, church multiplier, Peyton Jones. Welcome back to Reproducing Churches podcast. I'm your host, Peyton Jones, and we profile the top 100 reproducing churches identified by Exponential and Outreach Magazine every week. And I am excited to get back in studio with Kevin Barnhart. He's our guest today. He's affiliated with EV Free Church. And Kevin, welcome. And I'm so glad to be with you, Peyton. Thank you. Well, it's, it's an honor to talk to anyone who's seen the kind of multiplication that you've seen. It obviously takes sacrifice. It takes some moxie. It takes intentionality. And it takes leadership. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Unpack some of your journey and what you've seen in multiplication so far. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my journey into that maybe was a little atypical. I don't know. Uh, uh, really had a heart for church planting growing up. Came from a long line of church planters, if you will. Grew up in a church plant. And uh, when I was in seminary, God broke my heart for the persecuted church. And, uh, and then went to the mission field to help kind of sustain intentional church planting movements, really focusing on leadership development. Remember the first uh, term after language study, you went to a region and they had about 70 churches and about 20 pastors. And they identified another 50 geographies that had no church whatsoever. And it was like, well, we need 50 pastors and 50 church planters yesterday with no program, no budget, let's get busy. So it was a great place to figure some stuff out and to grow and then serve broader network of churches. I think that, that time on the mission field was very fruitful and seminal. And then coming back in the States and jumping in, uh, you know, to doing that here, uh, very much similar mission. I loved, we served as an organization. They said we plant churches where they don't exist and serve them where they do. Uh, so I, I love that simplicity, that clarity, and then felt like, doing the same thing here. So came at it through a missions perspective. I love that, Kevin. And I love the fact because I, you know, I just finished writing a, a church planning textbook and in it, it, it became very apparent the more that I looked at people like Jim Peterson, uh, Leslie Newbigin, um, C. Peter Wagner, all these people that came, you know, myself included, you're, you, it's not surprising that we see you in the top 100, because what the pattern emerged as I was doing this research was people who go to the mission field and come back, don't come back the same. They're a little jacked up for business as usual. So I, I love the fact that you were, you were on the mission field, came back here, and it's, it's not like something you can turn on and off like a light switch. Absolutely. That's so true. It does change your perspective and maybe some of the presuppositions that others might bring into it if they came in along a different path might not be there or as prevalent. Yeah. So, you know, what we're looking for today um, as we get into this is a little bit of your stories. Now, I know you've transitioned from Calvary EV Free in Rochester. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think, you know, we had a good run, good 10 years and uh, came back from the mission field. I think the church was really wanting to get serious about um, becoming a multiplication center. I think they saw that they needed some robust leadership development in order to do that. So I kind of got invited to, to into that role as an executive. 
And then about a year into that, I think the lead at the time said, you know, I think you're the guy and he felt called to move on. So transitioned into the lead role. And then we got, we got a lot more serious about planting churches on purpose. And uh, it had been about a 12 year gap between when we had planted. And I think there were some reasons for that. Um, So we wanted to uncover those reasons and yeah, it had about a 10 year run. I think, you know, a unique story uh, ended up, of walking my late wife through a long um, process of terminal illness and she grew up in the church and I think it just became clear that um, that as God was writing a new story that was going to that was going to unfold elsewhere so kind of brought that season and chapter of ministry to a close but very much um, about the same things even in the same network um, still being a champion for multiplication just in a different area. You know, it's interesting because in the article that Outreach put together, they mentioned something that's very true, and that is that church planning in the 1990s was more accidental than intentional. And, you know, you could find like the old, you know, part-time church planners where maybe they had a secular job or they were were a Baptist minister and they they weren't used to getting paid well. So church planning didn't make too much difference for them, right? They they went and, and planted churches on the cheap. But, you know, you brought an intentionality into it. Tell us a little bit about what happened with some of the churches that got planted. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the article here. and It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's got experiences that inform, you know, their desires. And um, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think you know, for some, maybe it was intentional. For others, maybe it wasn't. They didn't really start it, but they didn't really stop it, you know, and it happened. Um, and, uh, so then, you know, saying, Hey, we want to do this on purpose. <laughs> that sounds so basic, but, uh, when you look at how many, uh, where that's not there, you think, okay, well, that's a, that's a good first step. We want to do this on purpose. You know, we really wanted it to be bathed in prayer, connected to what others were doing. Um, so, uh, it, like we said, it'd been a, a 12 year run. We actually had a guy that had built a network up in Seattle that came and he pushed us a little bit, you know, he, uh, he, he pushed us and asked us if, if we got our tubes tied, if we're just done having kids or, or what, and I think that was good. He got in our, he got in our face a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, so then we started really praying and, uh, we looked at an area in the city that we felt like was very underserved, um, networked with other churches in the area, kind of, you know, understood what they were doing and, um, what their understanding where the needs were kind of had a growing movement of, uh, like-minded people praying over that. And then God kind of brought us a who, you know, a person that um, we got some road time with and then kind of settled the where, you know, so a lot of church planning, you got all these different questions, you know, you got kind of who, where, how, when, and uh, you know, each one, they get settled maybe a little differently each time, but we knew we wanted to do it on purpose. We knew we wanted to have it bathed in prayer um, and, uh, we knew that we wanted to be doing this on a sustainable basis. So really started raising up leaders nice. so that we could send folks out and not have, um, such a huge, um, impact on, on mom, you know, as you're planting out and that had kind of yeah. been the case before. Yeah. Because sometimes it's like when, when Paul tells the Corinthians, Hey, I robbed other churches to, to, to get to you, you know, and, and, and sometimes, yeah, you might, you know, you you might be cutting a little too deep on, I, I know I've certainly sent out church plants where the, you know, the leaders of the church look at me like, are we going to survive after this? And uh, of course, the apostolic gene 
kicks in and says, yeah, this is fun. Let's replant this baby all over. And uh, that's when you know you have an apostolic leader in your midst. And yeah, it's probably time for him to move on. <laughs> I always tell people, yeah. if I stay yeah. too long at your church, I'll wreck it. But, you know, it, here's the thing. What were some of the milestones on your journey? Because I know for you, like we said, there is a degree of intentionality. Obviously, there were milestones. What were some of the key nodal moments as you look back that mark your journey? Yeah, one aha for sure was uh, on the mission field um, in that first regions in the east part of um, Ukraine, kind of a dangerous place to be right now, um, serving a network of 70 churches there. And I remember I was asked to do kind of like a, a regional survey um, and look at all the church planning that had happened there. Um, so they, I dug into that data and it took a while to get my head around it. But what I found was they had planted quite a few churches, but there were just as many at the end as when they'd started then part of me was like, okay, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. I think then what I found out was that they were kind of coming off the back end of the conveyor belt as fast as they were going on. Without leadership development capacity, you could change where those churches were, but not how many there were. Then that was a big light bulb. And I think that led me, that led me to um, Hesselgrave and, and cross-cultural church planting and this idea of the Pauline cycle that there are kind of these key ingredients to sustainable multiplication without which you're, you're not going to see an actual increase in, in churches. You might plant, but if they die as fast as you're planting them after 10 years, you're really, you're really not changing the region very much. Right. Now I love that you bring that out because that right there is huge. If your churches don't make it now, North American mission board years ago did a study that uh, it's very controversial. People don't like to hear it. I would imagine it's higher now. I, I, I like to take on people that, that argue against this. But the study was 68% of churches don't make it into the fourth year. And, and, and I've heard people that are you know experts, pundits, they'll say, oh, that's not true. That's false information. Well, the study was done. And I've been on the other side. I've worked for NAM for a little bit. And I, I would probably imagine that the number is a little bit higher. Not picking on NAM. That's all church plants, all church planning organizations. They're seeing an increase in the difficulty of churches making it into the fourth year and into the fifth year. So looking at that, um, I love the fact that you've brought up the Pauline cycle. That's something that that was new to me this year. I, I never knew there was such a thing. So because I'm picturing our leaders driving home, you know, of course it's COVID-19, they're just taking a break from Netflix, but uh, yeah. they're, they're driving home. And if I move on and don't ask you to talk about the Pauline cycle, I'm going to get complaints. They're going to get really mad and go, dang it, I want to know about what is the Pauline cycle? Sure, sure. And I, I simplify it just because, you know, I saw, you know, Hesselgrave, what he did basically was looked at Acts and said, wow, there's these reoccurring patterns. There's these things that keep happening. And I think he, and along with others, there's, you know, um, he and Stuart and others, New Testament scholars came to the same conclusion differently, Getz did as well. Um, so he's not like on an island there, but he's just saying the repeated patterns form a normative uh, pattern. And, and I think if you zoom out a little bit, you can actually match up the repeated patterns with imperatives and the epistles. So I think for most 
conservative biblical folks, when you see an imperative, that's normative, you know, commands. If commands aren't normative, what is? So I think when you see kind of Paul's uh, repeated patterns represents a strategy that he had, and then those correspond to commands in the epistles. So I think he has 11. He makes it very granular kind of to help church planters, you know, like contact the audience, like you got to actually get in front of someone, uh, you know, so, you know, for Paul, that was in a marketplace or I kind of coalesced it into four larger centers of um, proclaiming the gospel, forming biblical community, making disciples and raising up and sending out leaders kind of into those four, which all contribute to sustainable multiplication without all four of those working. Eventually a movement starts to break down. That's good, man. And just for those of you that are going, Hey, well, what, what's the Hesselgrave version? Uh, his was one missionaries commission, two audience contacted, three gospel communicated, four hearers converted, five believers congregated, six faith confirmed, seven leadership consecrated, eight believers commended, nine relationships continued, and ten sending churches convened. And there's scriptures that go alongside, like like Kevin said, there's a pattern, but I like that you boiled it down to four because many of these things can be kind of collated and consolidated. So that's good, man. So so you saw that kind of Pauline cycle. This is what Paul's doing. And was it kind of like something where you thought, you know, Kevin, like if we did this, you know, maybe we'd see similar results and it would kind of help us not see the failure rate. Is that kind of where your head was at? Yeah, exactly. And for me, that was the first aha. You know, it's embarrassing to say that I didn't get the rest of it all right away either. But, you know, so I think the first part of that was leadership development and the lack of it. Um, so that was on the mission field. And then that corresponded to the story of where I landed, you know, uh, in, in Rochester was when I heard the story of the last church plant. You know, it's kind of like one of those basic questions you ask, where do leaders come from? If the church's answer is they move here, then, you know, that really limits, you know, if you're just kind of, well, waiting for a new batch to move in um, and then hope you're winning the move in, move out kind of equilibrium, then you have to have an intentional process of developing leaders. So that was uh, something I took on. Um, and uh, then I think that was able to help us multiply. But I think what I was slower to understand and see, and this is kind of what God brought to me later uh, and this is probably obvious to others, was, you know, seeing a conversion community on the front end of that being the, the fuel for it. I think, you know, in that context, we wanted to plant churches. Uh, you know, the mothership wasn't really a conversion community. We were probably growing via transfer more than through conversion, and then sort of unintentionally started to live vicariously through the children. Like, we're happy to see that people are coming to faith in these other places and getting excited and happy about that. But it wasn't until I was at Exponential and, and, and heard, um, you know, some pretty direct confronting speech about that, that I started to realize we can't keep planting churches that way. That's good, man. That's really good. And, you know, it's, it's good when people care because the, the way I always think, and, and I tell people this, that, you know, when, when you're thinking about church planners, you ought to think about them like veterans, right? If someone comes out and they're like, hey, you know, I want to go into a business and make money off veterans. Everybody just kind of looks at you like, what's wrong with you, 
right? Like you, you honor them, like you take care of the veterans. You know, you don't go make money off veterans. And I tell people that's how I think of church planners because there are plenty of people out there that are willing and ready to make a living off the backs of church planners. And I just, I just think to myself, I wonder what God is thinking of that. So I'm jealous for planners. They're putting their families on the line. They're putting it all, you know, they're, they're, they're laying it all down, as you know. So when you see somebody like yourself who says, you know what? I don't want to see these guys struggle. I don't want to see them suffer needlessly. It's always going to be hard. But to have somebody who steps in and says, you know what? Um, that's, uh, yeah, that's not okay. We need to do better. So you mentioned already uh, Hesselgrave. Who were some of the other yeah. leaders and thinkers and maybe even practitioners that you had your eye on who shaped your thinking? Yeah, so get looking at the Hesselgrave piece, you know, you got the leadership development, but then having that, uh, that conversion community. And so then for me, I'll never forget, we were, we were with our fourth church plant. He, um, a guy named Willie, an experienced church planner. He, so he planted the fourth. We went down together to Exponential and we were praying at Chicago and we were praying about the fifth church plant that we felt like God was brewing. And, um, you know, we went down up front and, uh, you know, they had this moment, um, you know, they're just praying about what these new things God might be brewing. And, and we prayed around what that was look like is neat, powerful moment. But then, then there was this, that confrontation of saying, look, if, if you are planting churches without a conversion community, in the end of the day, all you're getting people to do is go from a less cool church to a more cool church. And that's not worth doing. Um, that was kind of Ed Stetzer as he was transitioning out of the role in Exponential and then moving into this Billy Graham Center for Evangelism Church Cohort Initiative. And, and that one just hit me because it's like, that's what we're doing. And uh, we can't just live vicariously through children. We need, we need to be doing this. And we didn't have a conversion community. And so then through a number of things, God led us to the, uh, the, the Billy Graham Center for Evangelism's Church Cohort Initiative. And the real center of that is to create and multiply conversion communities and uh, walk through a two-year cohort process with some other like-minded churches in the, in the area. And uh, the whole goal was to create uh, conversion communities. Because I think in the Exponential Network, I kind of felt like a lot of the guys kind of had that. Like they had grown a lot of them from conversion. And then the big step was for them to multiply what I was finding is we had the opposite. We were willing to plant churches, but we didn't have that conversion community. So then I kind of had to almost go to step one of Hesselgrave, um, kind of feeling like we got into the last steps and then realizing we didn't even have the first ones in place. Um, so that was the major barrier for sustainable multiplication was the lack of, of a conversion community. No, that's good, man. Because I, I, you know, I can tell that you're really passionate about this. Um, so obviously any journey like this will be met with opposition. This is not a walk in the park, right? This is a, this is a march, a step-by-step -step advance on a battlefield. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges to reproduction that you've faced as a mobilizer and as, as a reproducer? I think it's easy to start celebrating realities, maybe a little beyond what they actually exist. Um, you know, and I, I, I've done that in a number of ways, probably, you know, uh, but I think, or you can assume that maybe there's shared value and ownership over, over vision. And then you can kind of find if you push past a few 
phrases um, or a few taglines that maybe there's not as deep ownership um, as you would think. Um, so that's that's brought me up short sometimes where where I, I think I think there's more there than there is. Um, and uh, I, on the one hand, that's encouraging that you can still get stuff done with with maybe even a, a smaller minority of people who really get it and value it. But um, you know, to really have these deeper values penetrate into the heart and soul of a body at a, at a deep level, you know, not just the kind of, if you look at diffusions of innovation, you know, you're not just early adopters, not just your innovators, but, but deeper, you know, into that body. I think it just takes a lot more work, um, you know, and I, that's why I decided to integrate these things more into the leadership development process to be, to be baking the DNA of this into, into the next generation of leaders as you create pipelines so that um, it penetrates deeper into the life of a church. That's good, man. So if you're playing podcast bingo out there um, and if you kept putting a token or a, or a bean on the, the square for leadership development, then you should be shouting bingo right now because what I'm really hearing, Kevin, is you're mentioning um, leadership development really in almost every answer. And so I have got to stop for a second and say, okay, this was a key to your reproducing strategy, which I really think is key to reproducing in the scripture. So, and, and in fact, when people ask me, what's, what's the biggest bottleneck of church planning? It is exactly this, when you run out of people. And of course, Paul on a second missionary journey he decides, I'm going to go into high speed. And on his third missionary journey, he's in Ephesus, and he's a church planner factory. So what do you mean by leadership development, and what did it look like? What does it look like for you? How do you develop leaders for multiplication? If you have sustainable multiplication as the big goal, and then in whatever context you're in, you know, you're assessing what are my bottlenecks? Where are we weak? You know, is it is it in conversion communities? Is it biblical communities? Is it multiplying disciples? Is it leadership development? And just addressing whatever bottleneck you have in your context. But I think I'd come to the conclusion in that context that was a key. Uh, you know, we had quite a journey. When I first came back, I kind of inherited a leadership development structure. It was a partnership with an organization, kind of a full accredited master's degree online program. And at the end of implementing that, uh, I did a full kind of review and we felt like it was too deep for too few with the wrong partner. So we scrapped it, which was hard, but we felt like we had to do it. And then just redesigned something from the ground up that we felt like would be a more viable solution for us. So we ended up doing kind of an asynchronous, synchronous blend. Um, so some of it was online, some face-to-face. -face. Um, and I organized it around five big centers kind of God's big plan, uh, God's plan for leaders, and then God's plan for you, uh, and then uh, the spiritual life of a leader, and then leadership uh, toolbox were the five big centers. But uh, in God's big plan, there's a lot of multiplication stuff in there. In fact, we use the exponential online multiplication course uh, as part of that, some other stuff, uh, the meta narrative and kind of trying to help people get the big picture of what God is doing and how their story fits into this larger story and then drilling it down into that individual. And then we did the APEST assessment and, and others um, 
where they could kind of figure out what their what their individual story is in this much larger story. And that's been helpful. We did that. We've gone through three iterations of that. Um, first one just kind of did it. And then the second was a collaborative venture with the fourth church plant. And then the third cohort was a collaborative venture with the fifth church plant. So it was okay. always kind of, we're not going to do this alone. We're going to do it together. So it was a leadership development solution for the church plants as well so that we keep working together and sustain their capacity to multiply. You know, I love that because one of the things I laid down in the final chapter of the book that I'm working on is the idea that Paul had six networks scattered throughout the Mediterranean. And that's how he could say there's no place left for me to work in these regions. And it was because he had established networks that were collaborating and working together. And of course, Exponential's theme this year is together. And the final, there's uh, various circles, together with family on mission. The first one is together with God. Then it's, because you, you know as well as I do, Kevin, that uh, we can always move ahead in ministry and we're not collaborating with God. So that's the first circle. Second one is collaborating with family. You know, the great collaboration together with family are you on mission with your family or are you leaving your family in the dust? The next one is together's team. Then the final one, or well, then there's together with church. The final one is together uh, with networks. And what you're saying there is that you guys had learned not to do it alone, but you had done it as a network. And you were, was there an increased amount of synergy and acceleration when you started working as a network? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, you're going through and a lot of it, there's, these Socratic discussion questions baked into the process, you know, to get active learning going on. And, and then, you know, you hear how the church plants are thinking and how an established church is thinking. And uh, it was so helpful for, for both. You know, I think there was a lot of formation that happened just for some of the established church folks hearing how folks in a church plant were thinking and processing and, um, yeah, I don't think, I don't know how else you'd de design that, you know, at a curricular level, but by, but by doing that learning, by sharing, sharing that learning together in a collaborative process, I think you know, some of the categories just seeped into the process. Yeah, that's so good, man. That, that's one of the things that, um, it, it, how you're saying, I don't know how I do it. That's one of the things that over the years when I was training, it, it would, it would have to be a citywide network that we would see actually building and crafting church planning teams who would work together. Um, so we would maybe move as Paul did across the map in, in, in super teams and then branch out for reproduction later, which is kind of a game changer really when you think about it um, rather than just throwing different planters at the wall and seeing what sticks like spaghetti you're actually planting in teams that are hardwired to multiply. And I think that's what, what Paul was doing and why he knew that if he left a region, um, that, that multiplication would continue in that region after he was gone, which, again, that's, that's pretty mind-blowing. That's what we're seeing now, too, just even as I transition, but we're still in the region and, and we're having regional multiplication conversations really being led by the guy that uh, planted the fifth church plant, uh, Kurt Pluger. And he's leading that now, which is fun and to, to keep partnering with him, but, and then just kind of work with him on in his leadership. But that's the conversation we're having. And I think it's so much more sustainable because 
any one church's capacity might seem smaller, but, um, you know, as you're having conversations about where might be God working and, uh, and then to have a number of churches with a desire to do something that could add, you know, um, as, as God starts to crystallize around a geography, you know, then a church that wasn't thinking we're ready to plant a church might have four families or someone from that geography and then they can kind of say, all right, well, let, as a region here, we're thinking about this place and multiple churches actually might have something smaller to offer. And even though they weren't ready to plant all by themselves within a broader network, they could all pick up part of that and, uh, and see it happen at a much more sustainable way than if it all belongs to just one church and then the other churches are kind of more passive and say, oh, they got this. That's cool, man. So, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on today. Before we let you go, what is your vision for multiplication moving forward? Oh, I would love to see, you know, the the sustain, sustainable barriers addressed. I would love to see the multiplication of conversion communities, you know, that grow and experience God's desire for what biblical community looks like, where, where disciples are multiplied and, and leaders are raised up and ever-increasing networks of like-minded churches that have a heart to, to see the church grow and multiply, and that churches that hadn't gotten in the game because they're scared, because they haven't seen conversion, all of a sudden are emboldened by real conversion to say, we absolutely can do this, and uh, who have deep leadership benches through leadership development that can release with greater boldness leaders that they've seen raised up and that God would just remove the barriers for sustainable multiplication and see a much greater level of participation in churches to where this becomes far more indicative and exceptional. Wow, man, that's so cool. Well, Kevin, where can people get in touch with you or hold of you if they have been listening and they're like, you know, I'd like to pick that guy's brain because I know you just touched the, the tip of the iceberg on leadership development. It, it really, obviously, it's a passion of yours. It's so vitally linked with multiplication. Where can people get in touch with you? Uh, I'll do, uh, so my Gmail account, uh, where I'm at now, uh, Pastor Kevin Barnhart, B-A-R-N-H-A-R-T at gmail.com. All right. Well, hey, it's been a pleasure having you today, and thanks for letting us pick your brain. Again, uh, Kevin was a part of one of the top 100 reproducing churches uh, in North America. So we appreciate you coming on, letting us look into uh, your bag of tricks. If you were Felix, we'd come to the end of the show and say, radio, <laughs> and it's time to go. And if you're, <laughs> if, if you're not an old person like me, you have no idea what I was just talking about, but uh, that's all right. You also don't know Professor and Rock Bottom either. And now I think I'm stepping away from exponential a little bit here, and you're starting to see what I look like finishing a textbook on very little sleep, but it's been great having you join us. Remember, we'll have another episode coming out soon. And do not forget, if you want to take the multiplication challenge, you can head on over to Exponential's website, multiplication.org. And in the meantime, we also have some very exciting things coming out. We're going to have some 
round tables, multiplication round tables that'll be all over North America in 100 cities near you containing 100 people apiece. And if you haven't been to our online community, you can get in on the conversation early. All you need to do is register and it's absolutely 100% free for you to join our online community. But if we have Leon's Crump coming up on stage, you'll be able to have a live interactive coaching call and maybe a webinar or a forum. And anything we can do live and interactive, it's all gonna be there at multiplication.org. So head on over there today. Thanks for joining us again. Be sure to give us a like, uh, click to subscribe, anything that helps people know, share it on social media. Get the word out because we want Kevin's story to not be only 100. We would love it if Outreach Magazine came back to us and said, we need to do the top 1,000 reproducing churches because there's too many good stories out there. We hope that yours will become one of them. And we'll see you next time on the Reproducing Churches podcast with Peyton Jones. Hey, thanks for joining Peyton Jones on the Reproducing Churches podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. Let's increase the number of churches that multiply from 7 to 10%. For more information or resources, such as courses, audios, videos, ebooks, or discounts for the next exponential conference in your area, visit reproducingchurches.org.